Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. That is the traditional Roman Catholic prayer known as the Hail Mary. For some of you, maybe you grew up in the Catholic Church, you have prayed that prayer hundreds and hundreds of times. For others of us, like me, who grew up in the Protestant Church, I'm not even that familiar with it. I had to look down. I don't even have it memorized, right? It's like a, isn't it like a football thing? What is that, right? It's like, uh, this is the way it is. In fact, this has been really fascinating to me uh, recently, but of all the theological differences between Protestantism and the Roman Catholic Church or Eastern Orthodoxy, and there are a lot Of all of the differences, there is one difference that seems to be so, so significant in the sort of ordinary life of being a a Christian, and that is the veneration of Mary. Uh, That's got to be one of the most significant. Um, Orthodox Christians, for example, their worship involves icons of the Blessed Virgin. Roman Catholics are, are directly asking Mary to intercede with God on their behalf. To Protestants, I mean... Mary's just kind of a character in our Bible stories at Christmas time, and that's about it, right? She just, doesn't, she just doesn't have the same level of veneration. So it makes me wonder, it makes me wonder, is it possible that we're missing something here? Us Protestants, are we, are we possibly missing something here? Now, to be clear, when I say that, I am still of the opinion that we don't need to pray to Mary because Jesus intercedes for us, all right? That's, that's how I see it. Also, I think some of the theological arguments that have developed about Mary over time, like that she was sinless or that she never actually died but went straight to heaven, those don't really have any grounding in Scripture. So I, I'm, that's not what I'm saying. But the fact that so many Christians throughout history and throughout the world today elevate Mary so significantly makes me wonder, is it possible that the mother of Jesus has more to teach us than we normally acknowledge? That's the question I want to explore today. We are in the third week of our series, Witness, uh, where we're exploring the person and the character of Jesus from the perspectives, the vantage points of his followers. And today, we are going to look at Jesus through the eyes of his mother. So before we do that, let's pray and we'll get into it. Well, Father God, we are grateful that we can worship together here, that we can gather to hear your voice, and I pray that that would happen. I pray that as I'm speaking today, I would simply disappear and that your Holy Spirit would remain. And I pray that you would give us all ears to hear what you have to say to us today. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, so let's talk about Mary. Who is she? Who was she? Well, the gospel accounts don't actually give us a whole lot of biographical details about Mary. We have to infer a lot uh, from the context clues in the passages themselves or from just some of the basic things that we know about how the ancient world worked. That's how we get clues about who Mary was. But here's what we know. When we first meet Mary in the story, she is engaged to be married to a man named Joseph. 
Joseph was an artisan, a, a carpenter. And so basically, Mary and Joseph were working class peasants in rural Galilee. Now, the way marriage worked back then, Mary was likely quite young, probably 14 to 15. That was about how old she might have been. Uh, we don't know for sure, but that's probably the case. And Joseph was probably significantly older, maybe in his 20s, but it's also possible he was even older than that. Here's the deal. I I'm not trying to, like, uh, rock the boat here, but Joseph might have even been a widower with kids from an earlier marriage. It's possible. All we know from Scripture, for sure, is that Jesus had at least four brothers and at least two sisters. But it doesn't say anywhere in there that Mary was their mother. So we just don't know. She could have been. She, she might have been that. But we don't know. Bottom line, Mary was a young peasant. Uh, and when an angel shows up to her and tells her that she is going to give birth to the Messiah... She's a little bit in over her head, right? I think any of us would be. So let's take a look at that moment and see what it tells us about this, this remarkable young woman. So it's going to be uh, Luke chapter 1, verse 26, page 849 in the House Bibles. And we are going to be looking at a few different passages in Luke and then kind of jumping around a bit after that. So... Uh, Luke chapter 1, verse 26. This is going to be familiar if you've ever been to a Christmas service, but I'm just going to go ahead and read this. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. And by the way, that's the first line of the Hail Mary prayer in, other, in another translation. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Okay. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. And then there's a little bit of back and forth here. And, and basically, in verse 38, this is how Mary responds to all this. She says, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. Okay, so right out of the gate, this teenage girl is pretty remarkable. She just is. Her response to this angelic visit is not, why me? Or what do I get out of it? Or how do I know what you're saying is true? I mean, like, read the Bible. That's how most people respond when God comes calling. But not Mary. No, it, her, her response is simply an open-handed surrender to the will of God. I am the Lord's servant. I think it's amazing that someone so young could have such a mature response. Well, long story short, she does give birth to Jesus and then begins a long journey, a long journey of discovering what it really means for her baby boy to be the son of God. So let's talk about that journey. When he's eight days old, Mary and uh, Joseph take Jesus to the temple to be dedicated. This is just kind of what you did back then. And there they meet a prophet 
named Simeon. Now, I, I preached all about Simeon's prophecy on, on Christmas Eve. Uh, so if you are curious more about that, you can go watch that. But I want to draw your attention to one of the things that Simeon says. He prophesies over, over Jesus, and then, he, and then this is what happens. In verse 33 of chapter 2 of Luke, Jesus' parents were amazed at what was being said about Jesus. Then Simeon blessed them, and he said to Mary, the baby's mother, this child is destined to cause many in Israel to fall, but he will be a joy to many others. He has been sent as a sign from God, but many will oppose him. As a result, the deepest thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your very soul. Whoa. Imagine what must have been going through Mary's mind at that moment. I mean, Simeon just said, your son's essentially going to be divisive. He will be opposed, and a sword will pierce your soul. That's a lot for a young mother to process. So what exactly did Simeon mean? What in the world does he mean by a sword will pierce your soul? Well, to answer that question, we have to kind of take a step back and look at the life of Mary, as far as we know from the, from the clues we get in Scripture. What was her journey, her experience of being the mother of Jesus? First of all, it's worth acknowledging that there were undoubtedly some really beautiful, joy-filled moments for Mary as a mom. And this is just, this is just how it goes with, with motherhood, right? That Mary's, um, Mary's unprecedented closeness with her son. She was closer to Jesus in some ways than anybody. I mean, Mary nursed Jesus and bathed him and, and sang to him and taught him, right? She had all the joys of watching him grow up, watching him take his first steps and seeing him develop fine motor skills and discover his world. She got to see that. I'm sure there were moments of laughter as, as little Jesus was roughhousing with his dad or, or, I don't know, playing with his friends or telling goofy jokes. She got to have that joy. Mary shared a kind of joyful intimacy with Jesus that no other human could possibly share. She was his mom. So there was a lot of beautiful joy in that, in that journey, but it was not an easy road. For example, placing her newborn son in an animal's feed trough because there was nowhere else to put him, it's not a pleasant experience. Offering a couple of small birds at the temple as a sacrifice because they were too poor to afford a lamb, it's kind of humiliating, right? And of course, fleeing to Egypt for a little while as a refugee because King Herod was murdering babies in Bethlehem, I mean, that's, that's traumatic. That's traumatic. And then there is the fact that, well, Joseph kind of disappears from the story a little bit. We don't know why. He just doesn't really show up again. So is it possible that Joseph died leaving Mary a young widow? Yeah, it's possible. We don't know, but it is pretty darn clear in the story that poverty and hardship were a big part of Mary's story. So was that the sword that Simeon was talking about? Well, maybe, but I think it goes a little bit deeper, or maybe a lot deeper than that. I think the sword that would pierce Mary's soul had a lot more to do with the fact that her son was both fully human and fully divine. As her tiny baby grew, so did her awareness 
of his bewildering otherness. This is what you see again and again in the story. For example, there's a, a story a little bit later in Luke where um, the whole family goes to Jerusalem for Passover, the big festival, and on their way back home, they realize that 12-year-old that Jesus is not among them. It is basically the Bible's Home Alone version of, of the, you know, it's like, she's like, Kevin! That whole moment on the plane, remember in Home Alone? That's what happens to Mary and Joseph. And so they go back to, to Jerusalem and they look for Jesus. Now, we, we are familiar with that story, if you've heard that before, but I don't want us to miss this. They spent three days searching Jerusalem for their son. Can you even imagine? Three days they looked for Jesus. And then finally, they find him in the temple. He's in the temple, he's speaking with all the religious leaders, and he's keeping up with their conversations and asking these insightful questions. And of course, everybody there is like, wow, this kid's really sharp. But look at how Mary and Joseph respond. <coughs> In uh, verse 48 of, of chapter 2 of Luke, his parents didn't know what to think. Son, his mother told, said to him, why have you done this to us? Your father and I have been frantic, searching for you everywhere. But why did you need to search, he asked. Didn't you know that I must be in my father's house? But they didn't understand what he meant. Can you blame Mary for her reaction here? I, right, raise your hand if, you have, if you're a parent and you've ever had a moment where you've asked your kids, what were you thinking, right? Okay, I see a couple, of, yeah, lots of hands. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's my dad waving his hand. I know, my, my sister, obviously, really troubled child, yeah. No, it's me, it's me. So this whole scene in the temple it could have just been a kids being kids thing. Kids don't always think logically. They don't make the rational decisions. Maybe that's it. But I mean, if Luke, the gospel writer, goes to all this effort to make sure that this story is handed down for generations, I think there might be more going on here. I think what we are beginning to see here is a chasm, a chasm growing between Mary and her son, where she has trouble understanding the person he's becoming. I mean, to Jesus, it's obvious. Well, I should be in my father's house. But all Mary can say is, why have you done this to us? She doesn't understand. Later, when Jesus is grown and he's about to launch his ministry, there is this other moment of, of I'll call it disconnect between he and his mom. It seems they're at a wedding, they run out of wine, and it sure seems like Mary thinks this is the moment for him to, to do something miraculous. And so she tells him, hey, they're out of wine. And his response is basically, mom, it's not my time yet. Like she's not getting it. But then he goes ahead and he actually does it. He does make uh, water into wine, and so maybe she is getting it. But all that to say, there's clearly something that's, that's not quite, uh, quite here. They're, they're not quite seeing on the, same, on the same page. Frankly, she is not understanding his intentions as the Messiah, as the Son of God. So I, I, I don't know exactly what that points to, but they're not on the same page. And then, as you keep reading the story, you understand there must have been a significant amount of heartache and confusion on Mary's part. Some of the statements that Jesus makes about her. For example, there's a, 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 at one point he's, he's out teaching, he's got a crowd around him, and someone in the crowd, someone in the crowd yells out, blessed is your mother, which it's a nice thing to say, I guess. And instead of just agreeing, 
Jesus says, on the contrary, the blessed ones are those who, you know, do the will of God or put the word of God into practice. Or another time, something similar, uh, Jesus is teaching in a house and Mary and and Jesus' brothers show up and they're looking for him and someone goes and tells Jesus, hey, your mom's outside. And he says, who is my mother? Who are my brothers? And he points to his disciples and he says, this is my mother and my brothers, anyone who does the will of God. Now, that, that obviously is a little bit like, ugh, yeah, if you're Mary, you're kind of feeling a little bit thrown under the rug. Obviously, he's Jesus. He loved her. He ran right out and he gave her a big bear hug after that, I'm sure, because he was just teaching. He was making a point. But still, that's got to sting a little bit for Mary, that he's redefining family like this. She's his mom. These are the kinds of things. I think the, probably the most significant example of this, though, is when Jesus is hanging on the cross. He's on the cross, and Mary, his mother, is there, and so is John, the the apostle. And and Jesus says, Mother, this is your son. Actually, he says, Woman, this dear woman, this is your son. And he says, And John, this is your mother. Why is he saying it? He's saying it because he wants to make sure she's going to be taken care of after he's gone. But if you're Mary, and your son is saying, Basically, I'm not your son anymore, ouch ouch, that hurts. How much more distance could there be? As Jesus was stepping into his role as the Savior of humanity, the Son of God, the Messiah, well, he inevitably became more and more remote and distant from the one who raised him in her arms. And as his ministry grew and his teachings became more provocative and and dangerous, I think Mary began to understand pretty quickly exactly where things were headed. She was going to lose her son, and there was nothing she could do about it. I bet the words of Simeon the prophet echoed in her head every single day. This child is destined to cause many in Israel to fall. Many will oppose him. On the cross... Jesus had to bear his tremendous sacrifice alone. It was his destiny. It was his job. And Mary, she could do nothing but stand beside him and watch and grieve. The one who knew Jesus most intimately now faced the staggering mystery of a crucified God. Mary's son was beyond her reach. A sword had pierced her very soul. And then the story goes quiet. That's the last we see or hear of Mary in the Bible. Now, there's traditions in the church that she went to Ephesus uh, with John. John took her to Ephesus, and that's where she died, or didn't die, apparently, according to some, that, that, that that's where the tradition takes it. But we don't know for sure. It doesn't tell us. It doesn't tell us. All we can do is, is wonder. But here's something I wonder about, and I just want to take a second. It just blows my mind to think about this. She's at the cross at the crucifixion, right? Presumably then. She would have been still in Jerusalem with the other disciples of Jesus at the time when Jesus was resurrected. 
So she was probably there in the room when Jesus shows up to his followers. Can you imagine what would have been going through Mary's mind when she sees her son alive again? Just try to imagine that. Or for that matter, imagine 40 days later at Pentecost when the Spirit of Christ dwells within his, his followers in a new way. That would have included his mom. The Spirit of Christ taking up residence in Mary, that's wild to think about. If it makes our brains spin a little bit, imagine what it would have been like for Mary. It's wild. It's wild. This woman, she had the most intimate relationship with Jesus imaginable, but she also had the deepest recognition of his divine otherness. She was living it out for 30 years. That distance had been growing since the moment he was a child, and now he lived within her. This journey is, is, is what I believe makes Mary so unique and remarkable. But I don't want us to miss this. Of all the disciples of Jesus, I think Mary had the most reason to fall away from Jesus in bewilderment. She did. She had the most reason to be hurt by the way that he was reframing things like family. She had the most reason to despair at her son's seemingly reckless opposition to the authorities. She had the most reason of anyone to be discouraged by the incomprehensibility of her baby boy's destiny. Mary could have fallen away so easily, and would you even blame her? But she never did. She never did. She stood with her son until the end. I mean, just think, who was it that was with Jesus as he suffered on the cross? It wasn't most of his disciples. Judas betrayed him. Peter denied him. Most of the rest of them went and, and hid somewhere, but not Mary. No, she was with him, boldly at his side as he breathed his last. Why? She said it herself 30 years before. I am the Lord's servant. This woman's faith was staggering. In his book, The Lord, uh, an author, Romano Gardini, says this about Mary, and I love this quote. Not understanding, never was she to lose heart, never to fall behind, Inwardly, she accompanied the incomprehensible figure of her son every step of his journey, however dark. Perseverance in faith, even on Calvary, that was Mary's inimitable greatness. A sword pierced this mother's soul, but her trust in Christ remained. Uniquely aware of his humanity and uniquely burdened by his divinity, Mary followed her son to the end. So what do we take away from this? What do we take away from, from Mary's story in our own journeys, in our own faith? Well, again, I am a Protestant, and so I'm, I'm not going to say things like she's sinless or she, she should be prayed to. I don't think that's the takeaway. She's just a woman, but she's a remarkable woman. So what does she teach us? 
Well, first of all, I think, I think it's worth taking a moment to just reflect on the very real model that Mary is for parents who feel like their children are slipping through their fingers. I think it's true. Maybe that's you. Maybe that's you. As I was writing this message, I kept thinking back to my own mother's experience. And my dad's experience too, but my mom's experience back when I was in college. You remember. I was in a really, yeah, he remembers, believe me. I was in a really dark place in my life. I was cynical. I was disillusioned. I was angry. My faith was hanging by a thread. And frankly, I spent most of my time and energy self-medicating with Xbox. In fact, my mom, she, she told me this past week, one, one time someone asked her, hey, what, what is your son's major in college? And she said, I don't know, video games? Like that was how she felt. But it was way deeper than just an annoyance with my addiction to, to video gaming. She was frustrated and discouraged that I seemed to be wasting my life. Her heart was burdened by my, my, disillusion, my, my, my disillusionment, my crumbling faith. She felt helpless. It makes sense because she couldn't just sweep in and fix my problems. That right there, that is the burden of parenting adult children. You can't just fix it. They got to make their own path, right? I know many of you are in the same boat. I know you are. So one takeaway here, one takeaway, very practical, is that, is that Mary is an excellent example of how to do this well. No, she did not understand who her son was becoming. No, she couldn't take his pain away, even though she might have wanted to. What could she do? She could stand by his side with him to the end. And that's exactly what she did. Maybe there's a parent here who needs to hear this message. Let Mary's faithfulness be a model to you. Don't give up on your child, no matter the distance between you. Don't give up. Trust, like Mary, that God has your child in his hands. And I'm sure someone's thinking, sure, yeah, right, but she's the mother of Christ, right? She was visited by angels. She, she's cut from a different kind of cloth. Well, no, she wasn't. Mary was an uneducated peasant girl from Galilee. The only thing that makes her truly unique was her steadfast posture of surrender and faith. Mary entrusted her child to God. You can too. But of course, Mary is more than just a model for faithful parenting. I think she's a model of what faith looks like in Jesus for all of us who are facing uncertainty and doubt. I don't think Mary ever fully grasped the nature of her son's identity until the resurrection. Maybe even then she was still scratching her head, but she followed him nonetheless. Maybe for some of you, this whole Jesus thing is still kind of fuzzy. It's kind of hard for you to, to sink your teeth into. Maybe, maybe you've got a laundry list of reasons to be skeptical, to doubt God, to question, right? I get it. I'm a skeptic too. Maybe you've got those questions. But here's the thing, faith, trust, it is not the absence of doubt. No, faith is what you choose to do in the midst of your doubt. And this is where Mary can be an example. She never once had all the answers. In fact, 
Having been so deeply close with Jesus as his human mother, she had even more reasons to, to doubt his incomprehensible divinity, right? I changed his diapers. That was Mary. And yet, and yet she chose to believe. What if you did the same? What if you chose to say, look, I still have a lot of questions, but I will surrender my life to Christ without all the answers. What if you said, no, I don't know why God doesn't just fix this broken world, why he allows suffering in the first place, but I will follow him regardless. What if you said, no, I don't understand everything about this fully human, fully divine Messiah, but I choose to believe in him nonetheless. Faith is not the absence of doubt. It's what you choose to do in the midst of your doubt. Mary chose to follow her son even when she had no idea where the journey would end. Will you choose to follow him too? What an amazing person Mary was. Right, what a, what a wonderful gift her story has become to us. What a powerful example of, of trust in the Son of God. Just to think that we, can, that we can see this loving mother weeping at the foot of her son's cross and yet still unmoving in her faith. That we can see, can see her even then, even in that moment, and say, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Let's pray. Well, Father, many of us do have questions. And, and it's refreshing, perhaps, to think that, that the mother of Jesus would also be in that, that camp of, of struggling to understand. And yet her model of, of faithfulness, of loyalty, I want to... I want to see that model replicated in the church, Father. And so would you, would you give us, especially those who are skeptical, who are doubting, who are questioning, would you give us just enough confidence, enough of your Spirit's presence to take the plunge of faith and say, yes, I will surrender. Yes, I will follow. Give us that courage to believe and to give our lives to you. And Father, for those parents who are feeling that deep pain of having a distant child, a child that's out of their control, would you, Father, give them courage? And would you give them the reminder that you have their child in, their, in your arms? Would you walk with them, give them comfort? And Father, would you bring that child back home? And until that happens, would you walk with these parents and give them the, the uh, strength to be faithful, even though they don't know how the journey will end. Father, we pray all these things in the name of Jesus, Mary's son. Amen.